Dave. I'm one of the pastors at Good News. And since January, I've had the privilege of serving you as the campus pastor. And it's 4th of July. And in uh, September of 1774, the Second Continental Congress gathered together. And at that time, it was not exceptionally clear that what these men were gathering together to create was actually going to happen. And so they started with prayer. And I want to read, there, there's some King James language in here, um, but I want to read this first prayer of the Continental Congress in 1774. O oh Lord, our Heavenly Father, high and mighty, King of kings and Lord of lords, who does from thy throne behold all the dwellers on earth and reignest with power supreme and uncontrolled over all the kingdoms, empires, and governments, look down in mercy, we beseech thee, on these our American states, who have fled to thee from the rod of the oppressor and thrown themselves on thy gracious protection, desiring to be henceforth dependent only on thee. To thee have they appealed for the righteousness of their cause. To thee do they now look up for that countenance and support which thou alone can give. Take them, therefore, Heavenly Father, under thy nurturing care. Give them wisdom and counsel and valor in the field. Defeat the malicious designs of our cruel adversaries. Convince them of the unrighteousness of their cause. And if they persist in their sanguinary purposes, of own unerring justice, sounding in their hearts, constrain them to drop the weapons of war from their unnerved hands in the day of battle. Be thou present, O God of wisdom, and direct the counsels of this honorable assembly. Enable them to settle things on the best and surest foundation, that the scene of blood may speedily be closed, that order, harmony, and peace may be effectually restored, and truth and justice, religion, and piety prevail and flourish among the people. Preserve the health of their bodies and rigor of their minds. Shower down on them and the millions they here represent such temporal blessings as thou see expedient for them in this world and crown them with everlasting glory in the world to come. All this we ask in the name and through the merits of Jesus Christ, thy Son, and our Savior. Amen. That was prayed at the opening of the Continental Congress on September 7th, 1774. And in case you were wondering, it happened at 9 o'clock a.m. So there's a little something. It was given by a guy named Jacob Duchesne, rector of Christ Church of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. How often do we hear that? A call for God to be gracious toward his people. An invitation for Jesus to reign supreme over all the affairs of our country. An understanding that we're citizens of two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the nation of the United States. We're gathered here to worship Jesus. We call upon him through prayer, just as Jacob did in 1774. Let's spend a moment in prayer. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to see and savor Jesus Christ, to be caught 
up in the glory of knowing him, to find a weight to life built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus being the chief cornerstone. We come to you, King Jesus, acknowledging your authority over all things, that there's not one square foot of this universe upon which you do not stand and say, this belongs to me. We thank you, Father, for the giving of the Son. And we thank you, Father and Son, for the pouring out of your Holy Spirit upon your church. Holy Spirit, help us in this time as we open your word to gain fresh insights into who Jesus is and what he has come to do for us. And Lord, send us as your people to go and tell of the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd invite you to take your Bible and, and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to keep walking through the book of 1 Peter this morning. And the verses that we're going to look at in particular come from verses 9 and 10 of 1 Peter chapter 2. So this is God's word. If you, uh, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is God's word. A few years ago, I was at, uh, after the first hurricane came through St. Augustine, and there was so much flooding all over the community. And I went to uh, one of my friend's houses after the hurricane came through. And his yard was littered with pieces of dock. Decking was everywhere in his yard. And we spent the day picking up docks and walking them through the neighborhood out to the curb so that these docks could be picked up. And I thought... Wow, the floodwaters were so powerful that these incredibly heavy docks that took six or seven of us to pick up and carry were just lifted up and carried and placed in his yard in the midst of the hurricane floodwaters. And I think about my own life. I, th I think about how light I am. I think about how easily I get blown away. I, I think about how easily I get picked up and carried by all the winds and the waves of life. And I think, Jesus, make me heavier. Because in the hurricane, not everything was picked up and carried away. In the hurricane, there were some things that stayed. There were some things that remained, that had sufficient weight to, to hold in the midst of the floods. And I think, Jesus, make me heavy. Make me weighty. Give me 
a weight to my life that will enable me to hold in the midst of the floods that I see happening all around me. Where would that come from? Where would it come from for Jesus to give us as a people a weightiness to our life that it would enable us to stand in the midst of the floodwaters of life? It comes in part through what we're going to learn this morning, and that's this. Jesus Christ unites identity, community, and purpose. Jesus unites identity, community, and purpose. We're going to see all three in this passage. One of the ways that Jesus Christ brings weight to our life is that he helps us answer the most important questions of life, questions that every single one of us need to answer. And Jesus Christ is a master builder. He is a strong cornerstone. We saw that last week. He gives us the foundation of his word. And he answers through scripture the most important questions anyone could answer. To build us up, to give us weight. He helps us understand, who am I? What's my identity? Where do I belong What's my community? Why am I here? What's my purpose? See, everybody has to answer those three questions. Everybody asks them, but not everybody has a sufficient, a weighty enough, an integrated, a united answer to those three questions. And I want to help you this morning from Scripture hear what Jesus would say to you about who you are, who I am, where we belong, why we're here. Because as we do, we'll become weighty. Now here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to give you Jesus' answer to those three questions. Then I'm going to say, I'm going to give you the answer to why Jesus' answers to those questions are superior. They're better than what the world tells us. And then I'm going to answer the question, well, if, if Jesus' answers are better, then how do I get that in my life? So what are Jesus' answers? Why are Jesus' answers better? And how do I get them into my life? So let's start. Jesus answers the questions of identity, community, and purpose. And in verse 9, he starts by giving us the answer to our identity. Who am I? He says, you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Who am I? I'm chosen. What does that mean? It means this, that this world had gone so awfully wrong because of man's rebellion against his creator that a a state of sin and brokenness had come into the world through Adam and Eve's first rebellion, that if anyone was going to be brought back into a relationship with God, it had to be because God took the initiative. And God's initiative in seeking and saving a people for himself begins with choosing a people. He chooses a people in his son Jesus, and Jesus Christ saves that people. Who am I? Who are we? We are chosen. 
that God has taken the initiative to move in my life so that I could know and respond to his love for us. I'm chosen. I'm a royal priest. Now, in the beginning, God established Adam and Eve and he placed them. He created Adam and Eve and he placed them in a garden. And he said, in this area, I want you on this earth. I want you to have dominion. In other words, I want you to rule. I want you to be kings. I want you to have dominion over this good earth that I've created for you, and I want you to tend it. I want you to care for it. I want you to be kings, and I want you to be priests. And when I put my trust in Jesus Christ, he welcomes me back into that identity that was lost in the fall. It's restored to me, and it's restored to you. I become Someone who's able to have the authority of Jesus and go out in Jesus' name to have dominion over this earth that he's given me. Now, it's, it's frustrating, but work isn't a bad thing. Work is what I was made for. And he says, I want you to be, not, not only do I want you to have authority, but I want you to be priests. I want you to love and serve one another within the body of Christ. Who am I? I'm chosen. Who am I? I am a king and a priest. Verse 9 continues, you are a holy nation. Jesus Christ said, I want you to go and make disciples amongst all the nations of the earth. And I want you to invite them to follow Jesus. And when they decide to follow Jesus, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want you to set the seal of baptism on this people. They're going to become a new nation. From amongst every tribe and tongue and people and nation of the world, there's going to be a new nation. And this nation is going to learn holiness. They're going to learn obedience. Because you're going to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. So we're a holy nation marked by obedience to our king, King Jesus. A people for God's own possession. Who am I? More important, whose am I? See, I belong to God. My identity flows out of who God says I am. My identity flows out of whose I am. I belong to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's done everything necessary to save me and to bring me into a forever eternal relationship with him. That's who I am. Now, where do I belong? Where do I belong? Now, this is such an important question. C.S. Lewis, in, in a sermon, he wasn't a pastor, but he did give sermons periodically when asked. And C.S. Lewis, in a, in a sermon called The Inner Ring, says this, I believe that in all men's lives at certain periods, and in many men's lives at all periods, between infancy and extreme old age, one of the most dominant elements is the desire to be inside the local ring and the terror of being left outside. 
what Lewis is saying is this, that there is a question hanging over all of us, and it's the question of, am I in or am I out? Am I inside the inner ring or am I outside the inner ring? Am I welcome or am I unwelcome? And the answer that the gospel gives is this, that if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, then you are as in as you could ever be with the one ring that actually matters. See, we spend all of our time trying to fit in to all the rings around us. Dress right, talk right, achieve right. And God says, by grace, through faith in my son, Jesus Christ, you can find yourself in the one inner ring that really matters. And when you put your trust in my son, Jesus, look at what I give you. I give you the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I give you the love of God the Father. I give you the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You know what that means? It means you're in. It means that if you have put your trust in Christ, you're as in as you could be with the one ring that really, really matters. So you don't have to worry anymore about how many Facebook followers you have. You don't have to worry anymore about whether you're in on all the office chatter. You don't have to worry anymore about what your HOA thinks of you. You're in. This is one of the greatest things I've ever read about biblical community. It's from a little book called A Testament of Devotion. This is such an aspirational description of biblical community. It, we're going to get to a purpose in a second. But if you'll understand what this man is saying and what the promise of 1 Corinthians says about the love of the Father and the grace of the Son and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Oh, when we are drowned in the overwhelming seas of the love of God, we find ourselves in a new and particular relation to a few of our fellows. The relation is so surprising and so rich that we despair of finding a word glorious enough and weighty enough to name it. The word fellowship is discovered, but the word is pale and thin in comparison with the rich volume and luminous bulk and warmth of the experience which it would designate. For a new kind of life sharing and of love has arisen of which we had only dim hints before. Are these the bonds of love which knit together the early Christians, the very warp and woof of the kingdom of God? In glad amazement and wonder, we enter upon a relationship which we had not known the world contained for the sons of men. Why should such bounty be given to an earth unworthy men like ourselves? When you move into the community of God's people, when you move into the inner ring of all inner rings, you're not alone. You discover that around you, 
are another group of people. A peculiar group of people. The kind of people you may not choose. And you didn't. God chose them. And he gave them to you as a gift. And he said, this, this group of people is going to be your people. This, all the yous in this verse, 9 and 10, they're all plural. The Bible is filled with second and third person, first, second and third person plural pronouns. We only understand it in the South we're the only ones blessed by God with a word to describe it. It's y'all. That's how it starts, verse 9. But y'all are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. We're not in the inner ring alone. We have fellowship. We have a community. Where do I belong? I belong to a group of people called the people of God. The people of God's own possession. Who am I? Where do I belong? Why am I here? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why am I here? Because I get to talk about Jesus. And why are you here on this earth to exalt, magnify, and speak of the excellencies of King Jesus? There is nothing that you could give your mind and your heart and your lips and your life to greater than the glory of Jesus Christ and helping others understand who Jesus Christ is. And so John Piper, in his great uh, book, Let the Nations Be Glad, he says this about our task, our purpose. Therefore, worship is the goal and the fuel of missions. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions is our way of saying the joy of knowing Christ is not a private or tribal or national or ethnic privilege. It is for all. And that's why we go. Because we have tasted the joy of worshiping Jesus. And we want all the families of the earth included. On the back of your study are all the 2021 church plants that, good news, because of your faithful giving, has been able to plant around the world. Algeria, Belarus, Brazil, Chad, Colombia, Ecuador, Greece, Hungary, India, Ireland, Mexico, and Florida to the praise of the glory of the excellencies of Jesus. Why would we give? Because we have a purpose to make the excellencies of Christ known to the ends of the earth. Why would we go? Why would we pray? Why would we share? Why would we live holy lives? Why would we sacrifice? Why would we do all that? Not because we're great, but because Jesus is great. 
that is the key, the excellencies of Jesus. What I want more than anything for every one of us is to be caught up in the glory of who Jesus is. Oh, Jesus, help us to see your excellencies. Jesus, help us to respond to your excellences, excellencies with worship so that all the families of the earth, as it's described in Psalm 22, let's say this together. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will worship before you. I care about the next generation. The reason I care about the next generation, the reason why I want the next generation in this room with us hearing God's word, the reason we invest in a student ministry, in a kid's ministry, the reason I care about the next generation is because I believe that the next generation could be the generation to finish the task of getting the gospel to the nations and welcoming Jesus back. I believe that with all my heart. That's why I care about the next generation. Because I want the next generation to know Jesus. And I want the next generation to make Jesus known to the ends of the earth. Because Jesus, nothing compares with his excellencies. That's why we're here. Who am I? I'm chosen. I'm a king. I'm a priest. I'm holy in Christ. I am possessed by God. Where do I belong? In his church, the people of God. Why am I here? To proclaim the excellencies of him. Those are Jesus' answers to the question. Now, why are Jesus' answers superior to the answers that you'll hear from the world. Why are Jesus' answers better? And the reason they're better is this. They're unified. They're unified. Jesus holds all three together. In Jesus, there is a unity to our identity, our community, and our purpose. That's why in John 14, 6, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the life in me. Everything holds together, the Bible says. Jesus Christ unifies our identity, our community, our purpose. In the world, if I'm a passionate individual who's on a quest to find my identity, then I'm a passionate individual. But it's hard in the world to find somebody who knows who they are and knows where they belong. It's easy in the world to find a crowd but it's hard to discover who you really are in the midst of that crowd. And so there are thousands of people in crowds who are lonely beyond imagination. And it's easy to find work. It's easy to find purpose. But it's hard to do it in a way that builds people up. It's easy to find a, a thing to do. It's hard to find a calling. But Jesus Christ, he unites 
my identity. He unites my identity with my community and with my purpose so that my life built upon him fits together and holds together. That's why Jesus is superior to the world and the answers he gives to the real questions of life. Now, how does it become real? Well, look at verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy. Now you have received mercy. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, verse 9, and, and he gave you mercy when you hadn't received mercy. How does Jesus' answer become real to me when he calls me? And calling is the idea that someone behind the calling is calling. <laughs> There's a caller. And so Os Guinness says this. This is how he describes calling. Earlier, uh, calling is the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, and everything we have is invested with a special devotion, dynamism, and direction lived out as a response to his summons and service. In the world of darkness, where millions are lost in darkness, without an identity, without a community, without a purpose, God has spoken, and he calls men and women out of the darkness, behind the answers to all these questions. The way it becomes real in my life is when I realize that the infinite, eternal, creator God has spoken my name, and he's spoken your name. Have you heard him? Have you heard the call of God on your life? Have you heard his invitation to you? The invitation is to come to me, Jesus said, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn the answers to the questions of life. Who am I? Where, why, where do I belong? Why am I here? Learn from me. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. How does this become real? It becomes real when we realize that there is a caller. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In the light of God, I see who I really am. I see who Jesus really is. And when I see who I really am and I see who Jesus really is, do you know what I need? I need mercy. <laughs> what makes it become real? When I experience the mercy of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is God's love to the helpless. Mercy is God's love to people who can't do anything. 
to save themselves, to represent themselves to him. They can't produce anything to make God love them. They are helpless apart from his mercy. And the good news of the gospel is that God's mercy flows to us through Jesus Christ. How does his answers to life become real? They become real when we press the gospel into the center of our life and we believe that I had at one time not received mercy, but now through Jesus... I have received mercy. I was helpless. But at just the right time, Christ died for sinners. And on the cross, he paid the full and awful penalty that my sin deserves. And he says that if I would turn from my sin and trust in him, I could have eternal life. And eternal life isn't just out there. It starts now. I get to follow Jesus and learn from him how to press the gospel, how to press my new identity into my life, how to press this new community into the center of my life, how to press this new purpose into the center of my life. How does it become real? When God calls out to us. When God calls into light, we have to throw ourselves at his mercy. What else could we do? Have you? Have you turned from your sin and and put your trust in Christ? Listen, if you have, then the greatest privilege you have is to go and share with others the answers that Jesus gives to the important questions of life. But let me tell you, It doesn't start by giving the answers. It starts by asking the questions. So here's what I'd love for you to do this week. I would love for you to go and share the good news with someone, but here's how I would encourage you to do it. I would encourage you to go and share with others the good news or the answers that Jesus gives to the meaningful questions of life by asking the questions. Listen, when you're spending time with a friend or a coworker or a neighbor this week, show some curiosity and ask them, hey, who are you? What are you all about? What do you, what do you love about yourself? Okay, maybe what do you like about yourself? What, what, what makes you tick? Ask someone this week an identity question and then listen. Listen to what they have to say. Ask them a community question. Hey, you you got any pals in your life? You got any friends? What's your community like? What's, What's your tribe like? Who do you like to hang out with? then listen. Or ask somebody this week, hey, why are are you here? Why why do you think God puts you on this earth? What's your life all about? What's What's your purpose in life? And then just listen to their answers. You know, and if you honor them by listening to their answers to those questions, then they might ask you, well, who are you? And 
Where do you belong? Why are you here? And you might have the opportunity to tell them, oh, you know, I found a person named Jesus who brings the answers to those questions. Jesus unites my identity, my community, and my purpose. I would love to have the privilege of sharing with you how he came into my life. And you can tell him at one time I hadn't received mercy. But now, now I've received mercy. You can. You really, really can. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you give us a weight to life that can hold us together and hold us down in the midst of all the tossing and turning that we see happening in the world around us. Jesus, you bring unity to our identity, our community, our purpose, and we thank you. Nothing compares to you, Jesus. We love nothing more than to sing and to pray and to share and to tell of the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into marvelous light. Jesus, I pray that if there's any that you are calling right now, you're calling them out of darkness right this minute. I pray that they would respond to your call by saying yes. By admitting the bad news of the gospel is true. Jesus, I have sinned against you in many ways, and I'm sorry. By believing the good news of the gospel that, Jesus, I believe you lived the life I should have lived. You died the death I deserve to die. Having died in my place, three days later, you rose again. Jesus, I commit. Jesus, come into my life as Savior and Lord and help me become the person you want me to be. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you not let anyone here go without hearing your voice, without having the word pressed down into their heart, maybe in the area of identity, maybe in the area of community, maybe in the area of purpose. Holy Spirit, would you take the things of Jesus and make them real to every person here and watching online? Lord, I ask all this in Jesus' name.